Welcome. I'm so glad that you joined us today. I'm so grateful that you chose to come and be part of a community. This is an exciting time in our church, and we're grateful again to be able to begin a new series and to be able to share just a little bit of maybe what God is going to do in us and through us. You know, if you're newer to our church, we have an opportunity every week to be able to gather together in order to worship, to adore, to refocus, to recalibrate, to be able to give God honor. We also have an opportunity to be able to open up his word, to be able to be taught, to allow the Holy Spirit to be able to teach us and to convict us and to encourage us. We're going to be starting a series in Hebrews 11 over the next few months. I think we'll be inspired and convicted as we focus on a group of unlikely heroes, ordinary people just like you and me, who had faith in God, but they became heroes to advance God's kingdom. Before we open up the word, let's pray. Let's pray. Father, I thank you again for the privilege of being able to read and study and hear from you. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you how it transforms us. I thank you how it gives us hope. I thank you how it convicts us. I thank you, God, that we have it. I pray, Father, that as we open up our study, as we look into Hebrews today, that you would use these words to bring you honor and glory. That these words would not be a preacher's words, but these words would be your words. God, we know that you want us to hear and understand. But we do. But Lord, sometimes our schedules are so busy and, and sometimes our mind is so distracted. So we ask for these next few moments, God, that, that you would help us here. Lord, we know that we're not the only church in the area or in the state or, or in our world that is teaching your word today. We pray for other like churches. Churches, Father, that are presenting good news, encouraging their flocks to be salt and light. We pray this day for new hope and for fierce, and for meadowlands. We ask God that you would use those teachers and those flocks to infiltrate our world. We love you, Lord, that we are a group of Christians, flawed, but so dependent on you. Father, I thank you for all the teachers and for the workers who are downstairs who are sharing truths with our kids. We pray, Lord, that you would do that powerfully, that our kids would learn who you are early in their life, and that we can partner with our parents 
to encourage our kids to know you and to share who you are with others. Father, this day we, we are going to open up your word. Please use it, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you'd open up your Bibles or your flat screens to Hebrews chapter 11. Let me start off just quickly saying this, is that there's a lot of healthy discussion uh, on who actually wrote the letter of Hebrews. So nobody really knows, but what we do know is who it was written to. So that's where we're going to focus. Hebrews was a letter written to a group of first century Jews who had a connection with the newly formed church, the church that was just birthed in Acts chapter 2. Some of these Jews had responded to God's good news, his gracious offer of life, but some were just close, still looking, still testing the water. So for about 11 chapters, if you would read through Hebrews, these Jews heard over and over, hey, you're getting close. You're getting close to this understanding. But come all the way to Jesus. Put your faith in Jesus, not in religion. Come to Christ. They were warned over and over in these chapters, don't take God's offer of grace lightly. This is really important. But the message took a little while to hear for them. They were coming from a background where they prided themselves in a religious-based kind of performance. They thought, mistakenly, that they needed to prove and work to earn God's respect. But Paul made it really clear in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, for by grace are we saved through faith, not of ourselves, not of works, not of anything we can do so we can't boast about it. It's interesting that salvation has always been about faith. If you take your Bibles and and turn back to Romans chapter 4, We're actually going to be looking a little bit later in this chapter, in this study, at Abraham. But in Romans chapter 4, let me read to you what the Apostle Paul wrote. Abraham was, humanly speaking, the founder of our Jewish nation. What did he discover about being made right with God? If his good deeds had made him acceptable to God, he would have had something to boast about. But that wasn't God's way. For the scriptures tell us Abraham believed God and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. So for the first 10 chapters of Hebrews... They hear the good news over and over and over again. They hear that Jesus is the once-for-all sacrifice that they didn't 
have to keep doing the sacrifices of bulls and goats. That they didn't have to keep offering these animals for the sins that they had committed. But Jesus, the once for all sacrifice, who paid the debt for our sin, because we're all sinners, in order for us to be reconciled to God, in order for us to be friends with God, in order for us to enjoy life the way God intended That salvation comes to you and to me when we put our faith in Christ. So that's a quick kind of overview of the first 10 chapters. And then we come to chapter 11. And I'm going to actually start reading chapter uh, Hebrews 10, starting at verse 38. It's just a couple verses before chapter 11. And I think you'll understand why in a moment. So the author, again, is is hammering the drum. Jesus is the way. Come to Jesus. He's the perfect sacrifice. He's the perfect high priest. And then verse 38. And my righteous ones will live by faith. And I will take no pleasure in anyone who turns away from faith. But we are not like those who turn away from God to their own destruction. We are the faithful ones whose souls will be saved. We are the ones who have faith and are saved. And then what happens? The author does this. So what is this faith he's talking about? What is faith? The saving faith, the transforming faith. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It is the evidence of things we cannot see. So this verse is foundational to understand the rest of the chapter and even to put the whole scripture in perspective. A Christian's faith gives reality to what we hope for and a firm foundation or evidence of the things we cannot see. Faith gives weight or substance to God's promises, his word. Now, the rest of the chapter and the whole series will be giving Old Testament examples of people who trusted God, who trusted his word. But what's so odd, none of the examples that the writer gives ever sees the promise come to fruition. They heard God's promises, but they never saw them come to pass. In fact, you can take your Bibles and and just look a little bit later down in chapter 11 at verse 39. It's almost at the end of the chapter, and eventually we will get there. But I thought it'd be helpful just to look at this. All these people that we're going to study, all these folks that have been given examples of really wonderful folks who have faith, Look at verse 39. 
All these people earned a good reputation because of their faith. Yet, none of them received all that God promised. They died not realizing or not in being encouraged and what God actually told them. So, as we look at this, they believed in God's promises, but not one was realized. They believed in God in spite of situations, circumstances, or in their case, death. Faith the author says, is a reality you can bank on, even though the promise hasn't been realized. Let me illustrate with three Old Testament heroes that aren't mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11. So many of you know this story about three young men who were exiled to Babylon. We find this story in Daniel chapter 3. And there was a king, a ruler whose name was Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar really, well, he got full of himself, and he thought again that all of his subjects ought to worship him. So he built this gigantic, well, likeness of himself. And he sent out the word that everybody in his kingdom was going to bow down to him, to worship him. And as an incentive, he said, if you don't, I've got a fiery furnace, and you're going to be tossed in. Okay, so the option is bow down or go into the furnace. That, that's my option? But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were God followers. They trusted God. And God had made it really clear that you do not bow down to any God, false gods, except the real God. So they had a choice. And, and you, most of you know the story well. But they had a choice. Their choice was listen to a king that they could see. Or listen to a king that they couldn't see. They chose to obey a king they couldn't see. Well, this absolutely blew Nebuchadnezzar's mind. He got so upset with this whole thing. He even increased the fire. And he tossed these three guys in. And right before they were tossed in, they said very clearly, hey, my God is capable of saving us. No problem. But if he chooses not to, my God is powerful, but if he chooses not to exercise his power, I, I just want you to know, we're still not going to bow down. It's a pretty heavy consequences. But you know the story is they were tossed in amazing. God just protected them beautifully. Had another person actually walk around in the fire with them. Probably Jesus himself. 
coming out of the fire eventually and affected a whole nation. But this is faith. Faith is living in a hope that is so real that it gives absolute assurance. Faith is believing God at his word. When he says something, you know it's going to happen. Faith is always anchored to the word of God. And real faith moves you from belief into actions. Some of you may be aware of a gentleman, a scholar named J. Oswald Sanders. One of the quotes that I had from him as I was preparing this caught my attention. And he said this, Faith enables the believing. Faith enables the person who believes. Faith enables the believing soul to treat the future as present and the invisible as seen. Let's continue. Hebrews chapter 11, looking at verse 2. Their faith, through their faith, the people in the days of old earned a good reputation. So faith is somebody trusting God's word, absolutely assuming it will come to pass. And the next sentence, because people like that believe, because their faith was rich, because they trusted God in spite of circumstances, these people who lived before this time had a good reputation. It's interesting sometimes to look at Scripture and ask the question, what isn't Scripture saying? Scripture here is not saying that God is pleased because of service or sacrifice. God's making it really simple. I am pleased because they have faith. Now again, some of you may be a little puzzled. And you say, well, why is faith so important? Why, why is, is God hammering this nail? Well, probably because if we understand that all the goodness we could even give to God, all of our good works, all of our righteousness, whatever that is, in the book of Isaiah, chapter 64, verse 6, says that to God, all of our righteousness, all the things we do, all the things we could offer him are just like filthy, dirty rags. We have nothing to offer God of ourselves. But oh, he is so pleased with our faith. And we'll get to this actually next week. But faith pleases God. In fact, Scripture says the only thing, the only thing that pleases God is faith. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. It is impossible to please God without faith. Now, 
before the author jumps into a list of unlikely heroes. And, and we've used that term because we probably wouldn't be the ones picking these as the leaders and of even naming them in the Bible, uh, all right? They've got a bunch of flaws. They look very much like you and me. But God does something special with them. He lists people simply because they pleased God by their faith. He focuses right before he jumps into naming on some current believers, on those who are right there, on the Jews he is specifically talking to. And he tries to help them understand faith. So yes, he's going to use example, but before he does that, look at verse 3. By faith, we understand or we grasp or we recognize that the entire universe was formed at God's command. And what we see or what we now see did not come from anything that can be seen. By faith, He says, we understand that God created the world by his command, by his words. Believers can bank on the fact you can have absolute insurance that God simply spoke and the world was created. If you look back at Genesis 1, and that might be something you can do sometime later this week as you kind of mill through this message. But you will see in Genesis 1 the term God said, or depending on your, uh, on your translation, God spoke eight times in chapter 1. And he started off saying, God said during the first day, let there be light, and there was light. And he ended up on the last day by saying, God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. Now, I'm telling you, this doesn't make sense. Speaking something out of nothing. But God said, that's how it worked. I am God. I spoke, and I created. Yet God, excuse me, yet Christians have faith in God's word. This is something, again, that if God says it, I believe it. You're starting, I think, to understand what faith looks like. Because true biblical faith is displayed by a confident obedience to God's word in spite of circumstances or consequences or if it makes sense to us or if it doesn't make sense to us. You know what I thought I would do is look at some other promises. Just a few of them actually in all the scripture that honestly don't make sense But God says it so we can actually bank on it. Uh, Let's start off. I'm going to focus a little bit on our salvation. On something that God freely gives us 
graciously and mercifully gives us because we put our faith in Jesus. The first thing that doesn't make any kind of sense is that God justifies us or makes us holy. In Romans chapter 3, starting in verse 23, for everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Everybody. We have sinned by choice and because we've inherited it. Yet, God, in his grace, freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Jesus Christ when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. In other words, anybody who comes to faith receives Jesus Christ as Savior. When God looks at you, when God looks at me, says, hey, you are holy. You are clean. You are pure. You go like, whoa. That doesn't make any sense. You mean my faith did that? Yes. Positionally, you can now go into God's presence. You can talk to God. He can, you can listen to God. You can hear his voice. You have a relationship. You are justified. It happens because of faith. Secondly, even in salvation, we have a new master. We are being sanctified, or we are being made more and more and more like Jesus himself. In Romans chapter 6, starting in verse 6 and 7, we know that our old sinful lives were crucified with Christ, so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. In other words, we don't have to submit to those desires, which again, eventually bring death to each one of us. We are no longer slaves to sin, but for when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. So again, it doesn't make sense. But but God says this, when you put your faith in me, I justify you. I give you an opportunity to be able to have authority over all the sin and the destruction in your life. You don't have to listen anymore. I've given you power and authority over that so you can listen to me and you can experience all the life that I have for you. Then, which doesn't make sense for us again, when we die or when Jesus comes back, we will spend eternity with Christ. So in our salvation, that we're justified, that means again that that we can come into God's presence. We look absolutely clean and pure to God because of the blood. Secondly, we do not have to be slaves to sin anymore. Thirdly, we get to spend eternity forever and ever and ever. The next million years, 
the next two million years in a place where God is present and we get to enjoy no more pain, no more tears. You're like, what? In John chapter 14, verses 1 through 3, the disciples were still a little confused. Jesus actually spoke these words right before the Last Supper and right before they went to the garden, right before he was arrested, right before he was crucified and laid in a grave and right before he rose from the dead. But he saw the disciples were discouraged. He said, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust. Put your faith in God. Trust also in me. There's more than enough room in my father's house. If this were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you when everything is ready, when it's right? I will come and get you so that you will always be with me wherever I am. Because of God's grace and because of God's mercy, because of our faith, we can be assured that the instant you stop breathing here, you will enter into God's presence if you're a son or a daughter of God. I'll tell you a couple things hit me this week. First of all, when I was walking in this morning, and our worship team was um, practicing. We just got through singing a song with a line something like this. Like a bride looking for her groom. And I'm telling you, it was convicting. I stopped. And I just actually talked to God right then. I said, I, I got to tell you, God, I am not like a bride looking for a groom. I know you're coming back. I know there's times that life is hard. I wish it would happen like immediately. But you are the groom. And we are the bride. And those young people I've had the privilege to tutor and to marry, I am telling you, the wedding is a big deal. You all know that. How much money, how much planning, how much preparation, all for that day, looking forward to it. You change all the schedules around. You say, save the date. This is important. You focus on it over and over and over. And sometimes you get to a point and say, oh man, I wish this thing was over. Everything we do surrounds about this wedding. Really? Yeah. <laughs> really. And I think, God, I'm missing the joy of looking for this reunion with you all the time. Rearranging my schedule, rearranging everything. God, you are coming back for me. Another reason this truth was critical for me was yesterday, or, or yes, another reason this truth was critical for me yesterday is it was a hard day as I received news of two deaths. 
There's a young lady who was 23 years old studying at Belmont University down in Nashville. Riding a bike, got hit by a car, and instantly went into God's presence. I know the family. I know the extended family. And I got that news. And we immediately reached out. But what was so unique, so powerful, because it doesn't happen unless you know where you're going. What was written back is, we are shocked. But we know we're going to see Alyssa again. Does that make sense? 23 years old at the prime of your life, going out for exercise, and boom, you're done. No, nothing. But I can tell you, they're hanging on. Another 42-year-old girl had a heart attack. It was, well, it happened a while back, but the memorial service happened. And it happened in New York. And it was one of these gals that grew up when I was a youth pastor and had an opportunity to watch her develop. Well, of course, after high school, she left. And her testimony over and over, person after person, parent after parent. I, I, I just know Emmy loved Jesus. I know Emmy's in heaven. I don't even know how I'm going to make it. She was a friend. She showed me Jesus. She cared for me. But I am going to see her again. That's what faith is. Have you ever gone to a funeral when you didn't know if they knew Jesus? Funerals are hard. They are. No doubt about it. But these are promises. This is what faith does. Well, are you telling me you're going to bank all that because it says something in the scripture? Like I'm coming back for you? Yes. I am. Then you can go on, and there's a few others, and, and we'll move on here. But, but God's complete care for me. In Psalm 23, so many of you know the psalm. But again, the psalmist writes, the Lord is my shepherd. And because he's my shepherd, I have no need of anything. What? what? You're going to provide for me? Yeah, like the shepherd does. You're going to protect me? Yes, that's what shepherds do. So I'm going to put my faith in you, Jesus? Yeah, I am. What about Romans 8, 28? God's promise. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. Everything. 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 How can you have joy in the midst 
of a broken heart. How can you be confident when no matter what happens to you crosses your path? See, that's stupid faith. No, it's not stupid faith. It's faith in God's word. And that pleases God. Now, he starts in an unlikely example of ordinary people who please God in the Old Testament. Look at Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4. And it was by faith that Abel brought a more acceptable offering to God than Cain did. Abel's offering gave evidence that he was a righteous man, and God showed his approval of his gifts. Although Abel is long dead, he still speaks to us by his example of faith. We find this story in Genesis chapter 4. And I'm going to go back there, and I'm just going to read a few verses. Genesis chapter 4, starting in verse 2. When they grew up, Abel became a shepherd, while Cain cultivated the ground. When it was time for the harvest, Cain presented some of his crops as a gift to the Lord. Abel also brought a gift, the best portion of his firstborn lambs from the flock. The Lord accepted Abel and his gift, but did not accept Cain and his gift. That's the background. We read in Hebrews and in in Genesis. We don't actually have all of the specifics. We do know this, is that Abel had faith in God's word and listened, and Cain didn't. This was so unlikely because technically at least an older brother should be the one that was a leader. An older brother should be the one who's a model. An older brother, though, this younger brother? Really? His older brother chose not to obey God. Well, you may say, hey, wait, what? I don't remember hearing what was the rule here. What did God tell them here? I mean, did God sit them both aside and say, hey, don't give me, you know, uh, fruit that you can grow. Give me a lamb. I know this is that both of them knew what God's command was. That's what I know. And it doesn't make sense, especially even if you look at this, that the shedding of blood was something that was required. But remember this, when God actually spoke to Moses and when God actually gave the law and God wrote out all of the specifics of what would be an acceptable sacrifice and what wouldn't, 
An acceptable sacrifice for sin would be the shedding of blood. Hebrews chapter 9 verse 22 tells us just before our, our, our text that we've been looking at, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. So we've read, Abel, Abel's gift was accepted and Cain's wasn't. Was it because this exactly? Was it because, uh, again, it was about the blood sacrifice? It could be. It could be. But I know this. Abel obeyed and Cain didn't. His faith still speaks to us. When God says something, which even in the really early stages of life, God, you want me to do what? Kill a lamb? That seems kind of corny, God. Maybe God gave him more details. Maybe God gave, or maybe God said, no, this is what is an acceptable sacrifice. That's it. That's all I'm giving you. I think as we look at the scripture, God gives us his word. And he says, I want you to know something. You will please me by reading this, listening to it, responding to this, every part in it. It will give you strength for the day. It may not explain all of life's circumstances, but you will know that I will be with you. I will take care of you. When you're going through hard times, you'll be able to, more than anything, trust God in new and fresh ways. You know what? There's so much to wrestle with here. There is. And as we go into this study and we see different people who are just listening to God in spite of everything, it's going to shock you. Normal people who are persecuted. Normal people that even lose their lives. But just said, it's better for me to listen to God. It's better for me to listen to God. May we begin to see that. And may each one of us learn how to please God better and better and better. Let me pray. Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you for helping us understand the wisdom of hearing from you and stepping out in faith, assured that you are faithful, that you, Father, will do what you say you will do. We don't deserve any of it. It's only by your grace. So thank you. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for giving us hope. You are a gracious and a merciful God. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen. Let's stand and respond together.